0: Good morning, hey we're back to the Hunger Games, take your Bibles out or grab one off the back tables if you need to, get your Bible out, turn to John chapter 8, we're in John 8 and 9 today, we're going to do two for the price of one, okay, so uh, turn there with me, there's always an outline provided, if, you are, if you're new to Seacoast, you uh, may not be aware of that, to help you track as we teach through the Word of God. My name is Pastor Dale, it's my honor to meet you, teach you and be able to hopefully get to know you in the plaza afterwards. You know something? I just think it's really cool to be in a church that would serve chocolate chip cookies in the middle of the service. Amen? I mean, uh, I think they did that last year, and it was, uh, last year they didn't tell me they were doing it, and it just kind of rattled me. The sermon really stunk after that. It's like, I like, "I, I don't know how to handle this, you know? Can I watch people eat chocolate chip cookies and teach at the same time? I think God can overcome chocolate chip hangover. So let's pray, okay? Welcome. Father God, thank you that you are such a great dad. While the rest of us, Father, are those of us that are dads are just humbled by your perfection of your fatherhood, the fact that you invite us to call you Dad, Abba, Father, the fact that you are infinitely wise, that you care so much for your children. And Father, one of the ways you express that is that you give us your word so that we can listen to you, learn from you, and not walk in darkness, but in the light of your word. So I thank you for that, especially this morning as we study Jesus, as we listen to him, as we learn from him, teach us about his role in our lives, in Christ's name, amen. Every seven minutes in America, someone loses their sight. They go from seeing to blindness. I don't know about you, but uh, I probably would agree with most people who've been surveyed and they said, you know, if you have to lose a limb or lose your sight, the decision's usually pretty quick. Take the limb. Surveys uh, differ as to how many people live with blindness in the U.S., but it's estimated somewhere between 7 to 10 million dollars, is not dollars, 7 to 10 million people from various websites Somewhere between 39 to 45 million people in the world live with total blindness. How do you define blindness? <clears throat> I looked at one site by the National Association of Blindness and they define it this way. They said that blindness, because it's kind of a continuum, you know, sometimes you have near blindness and then you have what they would consider crossing over into true total blindness. And they define blindness this way. It was interesting. They said it's the inability to see at all, or at least to discern light from darkness. The inability to discern light from darkness is the essence of blindness. Remember that. We'll come back to that. I think the vast majority of us today live with some need to get some help with our vision. There are some of you in the room that are blessed with 20-20 eyesight. Most of you are under the age of 12, right? Okay. Uh, I could ask those of you to stand up if, you're, if, you ha- if you don't need any help with your eyes at all. Most of them will be on the younger end of life. And let me tell you, it's coming. You know, I mean, without this, I mean, you look pretty good as long as I'm looking at you through these glasses, okay? I went from uh, focals to bifocals to trifocals. So now if you see me doing this all the time, it's like I'm trying to bring you into focus. And you look pretty good when you're in focus. In fact, some of you look a little better. How to focus? But anyway, you know, the reality is we need help. That when you can't really see clearly, physically, it changes things. But it's different from just going from seeing clearly to, to living your life in darkness. For example, if we just if we just uh, took the room dark right now, boom. Let's just kill it. Bam. What if this was your life? Those of you with iPads, can you please close them? Okay, thank you. You're (laughs) wrecking my illustration. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you know, if if we really, what, what if this was your life? What if you weren't in total darkness, but what if everything you did, right now I'm feeling for the front of the stage lest I fall off? What if everything you did was in this level of darkness? Blindness is a serious thing. You can bring the lights back up. I need to see, yeah. But the reality is, today we're going to look at a story in which Jesus encounters a man that not only became blind, but had never seen anything. One of those people that was blind from birth. So he's never seen the world, never seen a face, never seen a sunup or a sundown. Jesus is going to heal him. that's probably not reckoned the morning for you as letting the plot out, OK? Jesus usually is healing somebody when we study him, right? So Jesus is going to heal the man. That's coming. It's a great story. But underneath the story is a much deeper story, because what we're going to learn today is that Jesus is going to introduce us to a, a second type of blindness. Because as serious as it is to have physical blindness, and some of you at the church live with this, some of you live with blindness or near blindness as a way of life here at Seacoast. One dear lady who, in fact, I'm missing her today, she usually sits right on the second row in this service, right, is not here today. But she often tells me, she says, Pastor Dale, I sit on the second row because I need to get as close as I can and I still can't read the screens. But I want to be as close as I can so I can hear and see as much as I can see. Because she's losing her sight. That's her lot in life. But Jesus is going to introduce us today to not only physical blindness, he's going to reveal to us that there is a second more serious type of blindness, and that is a blindness of the soul. That is spiritual blindness. So pray with me again as we study the word. Father, I want to pray again and ask you that as we study your word together that we would be amazed by your healing, amazed by your miraculous ability to give sight to this man. But Father, I pray that you go deeper with us and you teach us also about our own need for light, our own need for healing, and our appreciation for what you do for every human being born into a world of darkness. We love you. We ask you to teach us now in Christ's name. Amen. Pick up the story with me. I want to set the tone by going back to John chapter 8 for just a few minutes. Why am I doing that? It's, it's because before we go to John 9, which is the main passage of the morning, the healing of the blind man, you need to understand that there was a conversation in John 8 that, we, that I don't want to skip because it sets up why Jesus does what he does when he heals the blind man. Go back to John 8 with me from last week. Remember the story last week? Jesus encounters uh, the woman who had been caught in adultery, in the very act of adultery. He rescues her from, uh, from, the, uh, from the religious leaders that want her stoned. He rescues her. He forgives her. He instructs her. And, 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 and he experiences and, and demonstrates this beautiful blending of grace and truth last week. Well, listen to the very next verse that helps set up today. It says, then Jesus, chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying this, coming off that incredible act of grace toward that woman. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Underline that phrase, it's very important. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're testifying about yourself and your testimony is not true. Oh, okay, Jesus, you're talking about you. I mean, it's amazing to watch the cluelessness of the Pharisees. I mean, they consistently, if you can see the humor in it, you know, it's like, I am the light of the world. I think you're talking about you, <laughs> okay? So, yeah, you're just beginning to figure it out. So it says, you're talking about yourself, but your testimony is untrue. It's not true. So Jesus answers, and he says to them, in response to their doubt, I mean, Jesus declares, I'm the light of the world. The Pharisees say, not true. And Jesus defends himself by appealing to the fact that it is true, not just because I say it, but because the Heavenly Father says it as well. We don't really have time to to deal with that part of the passage. But in essence, he says, look, you're right. I'm testifying about myself. You got it. But it is true. And not only is it true because I say it, It's true because our Heavenly Father says it. And it's true because of the miracles I'm doing. It's true because I'm fulfilling Scripture. And he gives some other reasons why it's true. But what I want you to see is what happens next. Fast forward to chapter 9. So having, having gotten in this argument with the Pharisees and declaring, I am the light of the world, Jesus looks for a teachable moment to really show them that he's not just talking about Physical blindness. So now pick it up, chapter 9, verse 1. Here we go. The miracle story, the healing of the man born blind. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man born blind from birth. And his disciples ask him, now, now it's not the Pharisees now, now it's Jesus' insiders, okay? His own disciples capture this moment of the man born blind, and they say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? so their question that they're asking is whose fault was it now they're assuming something that was a very common misunderstanding then and i think it's a common misunderstanding even today and that is if the if a person has a has an affliction if a person especially was born with an affliction then it's got to be somebody's fault god is punishing someone he's either punishing the parents for for whatever they did to bring this kid into the world i don't know what that means but the reality is either either the parents were sinful so therefore God gave them a blind baby. Or this this person must have done something or God knew something about this person and God cursed them or punished them and that's why he's born blind. So their question is Jesus whose fault was it? Jesus says, you know something you're asking the wrong question. The better question is how can God use this? Or what is God up to? Or what's God's purpose in this? Or you know what is God's plan for this? How can this fit in with what god is doing or what jesus calls the works of god pick it up again jesus says this he answers them it was neither this man who sinned nor his parents neither of them are being punished by god you know i think what jesus is saying is look you know a suffering in this world is uh unless it's a result of our own sinful behavior uh it's very rare that god is Punishing someone with pain and suffering, uh, you know, through it like this. But instead, Jesus realizes that blindness, like any other disease or or affliction, it happens. It's not because someone did it. It's not God punishing them. It is part of life on planet Earth. Uh, We did a whole series on this. So if you sometimes find yourself, as I do, struggling with, why would God let that happen to that person? Why do bad things happen to good people? Then go back to last spring and summer. We did two series, one called Everybody Hurts. And we studied God's plan and purpose and design for why he allows, he doesn't find joy in it, but he allows pain and suffering, and even allows his own dearest children, his followers, to suffer just like the world. We studied that. The short version of the series was this. We live in a fallen world, fallen in sin. It's a painful planet that causes pain and suffering. We live in fallen bodies that are, that are until we're redeemed and resurrected someday by Christ. Okay, And this physical body is a body that ages and decays. And, and, and that's why things begin to fall apart. Uh, we live in a fallen world, dwelling in fallen bodies, surrounded by fallen people who are sinful and hurt one another, uh, and with a spiritual enemy uh, who hates us and loves to cause pain and suffering. So there's all these reasons, fallen world, fallen people, fallen body, spiritual enemy hates and a God who chooses to allow it. That for this season, this period of time in history, God allows pain and suffering. And I find no evidence in scripture that he exempts his children. It happens. And he has a purpose for wanting to use it. We gave you a phrase during that sermon that went like this. God uses what he hates to accomplish what he loves. He uses what he hates, pain, suffering, blindness, other things, to accomplish what he loves. So the better question, Jesus says, when you see someone who's suffering from an ailment like this blind man born born blind, it's not, did he sin, did his parents sin, who sinned? It's like, no, blindness happens, but God has a purpose And God wants to redeem it. God wants to work through it. So Jesus redirects their thinking. And here's what he says. He says, it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me, the heavenly father, as long as it is day, as long as there is opportunity, is what he's saying. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus now uses this scene, this uh, encounter with this blind man, to bring them back to chapter 8, verse 12, where he says, I am the light of the world. That's what the real desperate need of humanity is. And I'm here to provide it. So Jesus says, let us me show you something. And now, he redirects their question. And whereas their focus is on the physical blindness of the man, that's obvious. The physical blindness of this poor guy. Jesus says, don't just focus on the physical blindness of the man. Let me teach you about the spiritual blindness of humanity. That's a much deeper and more important issue. But here's what Jesus does now. He's going to deal with the physical blindness in order to set up a chance to teach you and me about our spiritual blindness so listen to the story love it so when jesus had said this i am the light of the world he said this he spits on the ground he spat on the ground and he made clay of the spittle now this is one of those things that make you go hmm stories okay okay so we'll cover this one today why he did this i have no idea jesus could have said be healed okay sounds a lot more sanitary to me but instead jesus spits on the ground he takes the dust and the clay he forms a little bit of of, of moist clay And he anoints the man's eyes. It says he made clay of the spittle and he applied the clay to his eyes. And he said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which translated means sent. So he went away, the blind man went away and he washed the clay off of his eyes and he came back to Jesus seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as the beggar, because that's what he did to survive, we're saying, is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, uh, this is he. Uh, still others were saying, no, but he sure looks like him. <laughs> you got to love this, okay? Okay, uh, yeah, that's the guy. No, well, he can't be the guy because he sees. Uh, well, okay, so he, he might be the guy, but now he looks a lot like him. This is his twin. I mean, they, they don't know because they can tell he's the guy. But they've never seen a blind man heal they're confused this is he still others are saying no but he sure looks like him he kept saying i am the one okay you gotta see this everybody's gathered around Uh, who is he is he that guy no he's not that guy yes he is that guy but he looks like that guy and he says he just keeps saying i'm him i'm him i'm him will anybody believe me so he's telling them i am the guy how then were your eyes open verse 10 And he answered and he said, The man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and I washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. Jesus was long gone. So now you get this guy who's been healed. He's been blind since birth and he can't even find Jesus next step now it begins to get interesting because now the religious leaders get involved and when the religious leaders get involved jesus has a teachable moment verse 13 they brought to the pharisees the man who had been formerly blind now it was the sabbath on the day when jesus made the clay and opened his eyes now at this point i'm wondering does jesus not understand how this is going to tick them off I mean, haven't we had story after story, right? I mean, it's like Jesus saves his best miracles for the Sabbath on purpose, knowing it's going to tick off the religious leaders. And, and it's not because he's got a short memory, like, oh, it's the Sabbath, I shouldn't have done this. It's because he knew it was the Sabbath. See, I think because Jesus wants to continue this argument with the religious leaders, because they are convinced that by following their rules and their laws, that they are righteous and that they are good. And, you know, and, they, and Jesus knows there's no law against compassion on any day of the week. So Jesus is opening the conversation by doing it on the Sabbath. He's stirring it up with them again. So what happens next? We kind of go through three rounds. First, the blind man talks to the Pharisees. Uh, you know and and they question him and and he says look the pharisees say verse 15 they were asking him again in other words they've asked several times already but they're not happy with the answer which is jesus spit put clay in my eyes i washed i was healed end of story they don't like that so they keep asking him again how did you receive your sight and he said to them he applied the clay to my eyes and i washed and i see Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. You got to see the humor in religion that causes people to get so wound up over the fact they are looking at a guy born blind who was miraculously healed by Jesus, and all they want to do is talk about he did it on the wrong day of the week because he broke the law according to them. Others were getting the obvious. This man is not from God. He didn't know the Sabbath. Others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such miracles? I mean, we're saying he's a sinner, but he's out healing the blind. That doesn't line up with God. And there were a division among them. They couldn't agree. So they were saying again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? The blind man just says, Think he's a prophet. See, there were times in the Old Testament, by the way, that prophets did miracles, right? There were. So, you know, this guy comes to what would seem a logical conclusion, okay? The guy is a living, breathing person, walking around, beard, the whole deal. He touches me. He heals me. I get healed by God. He must be one of God's guys. He's at least very close with God. He's like one of God's prophets. Because the blind man still himself does not understand who Jesus is. Fascinating. Verse 18, so the Jews get an idea. Round two, Uh, it just further shows what I call in your outline, the blindness of the Pharisees from verse 24 to 33. Let me just kind of summarize it. Uh, they, they, They say, well, okay, if we're not getting the right answer out of him, let's call his parents in. The Jews did not believe it of him. They didn't believe the guy who had been born blind, that he had received sight, until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight. So they make sure they got his parents now. And they question them, saying, Is this your son uh, who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? And his parents answered them. Here it is. Love it. Love The parents were afraid. We're going to learn in just a minute. The parents were afraid because the religious leaders had declared and spread the word that anybody who declares that they have faith in Jesus and, the, and that they believe in Jesus those people are going to be kicked out of the temple, kicked out of the synagogue, no longer allowed to worship God in the synagogue. In other words, it's like they're going to be excommunicated from church. Now, if you believe in the God of Israel and you are a faithful follower of his, you don't really want to be told you're not even allowed to come and perform worship with the rest of us. So they were afraid of that. Just give you a heads up. So the parents answered them saying this. Well, we know that this is our son and we know that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. He's not a kid. So ask him. He can speak for himself. And his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed Jesus to be the Christ or Messiah, he was to be put out of the synagogue. In other words, not just put out for the day, but banned from being a part of the synagogue or their worship. So this was serious. So for this reason, they said, he's of age, ask him. <laughs> okay, it's pretty shrewd of them. So for a second time, they come back, you know, and, and, you know, and, and they ask him. And, and I love this. Uh, you know, in verse 17, they say, you know, who do you think he is? And first he says, well, I think he's a prophet. And then in verse 25, it, you know, it, it says this. Look at John 9, 25. He therefore answered whether he is a sinner or not. They ask him, what do you think of Jesus? He says, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, whereas I was blind. Now I see end of story. Can you guys not get this? And then it gets real funny. Verse 26. So they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you do not listen. You did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? Now, how do you think that made them feel? They reviled him. That really ticked them off. You say, Man, you've got to love this guy. He's not even sure himself who Jesus is. He thinks he's at least a great prophet. Maybe he's Messiah. Maybe he's not. He doesn't know yet. But they just keep pounding him, trying to get him to say something bad about Jesus. And finally he says, So why are you asking me again? You want to hear the story one more time? Because, oh, I'll get it. Maybe you want to become his disciple. Ah, it really ticks them off. So then they respond, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he's from. And the man answered and said to them, well, here is an amazing thing, that you do not know where Jesus is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person like me, born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And then they really lose it. They answered him and said, you, man, you were born entirely in your sins, and you are thinking you're going to teach us, you're teaching us, you're instructing us. So they put him out, meaning they didn't just physically put him out. They threw him out, and they, they banned him from worship, from being part of the spiritual community of his synagogue. So he's banned. He's put out. Man, I love that. So Jesus comes to the rescue. I love it. Verse 35, and then we'll talk about some application. Jesus heard that they had put him out, cast him out of the, of worship and of the synagogue, out of the fellowship of the believers, and finding him. So Jesus goes and finds him. And he said to him, verse 35, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped Jesus. He worshipped him. And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him. He is the one talking to you. He says, I believe. And he worshiped him. And then Jesus said, for judgment, I come into this world. I came into this world so that those who do not see may see. And that those who see may become blind. Now Jesus is kind of playing with us here. So let me say it. Let me read it one more time. He says this, verse 39. He says, I came into this world so that those who do not see, perhaps pointing to the blind man, may see. And that those who see, and by the way, there's a little group of Pharisees listening to this conversation. I could just see Jesus probably kind of putting a finger in their direction. Those who see, May become blind, and then those of the Pharisees who were around, who were with him, heard these things, and they spoke up and they said, "We're not blind too, are we?" And Jesus said to them, "If you were blind, you would have you would have no sin." I think again, referring to the man who had just believed in him. If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, "Well, we see," your sin remains. So what do we learn from this thing? So so what? What do we take away? Let's, let's kind of um, break it down. I'm going to break it down into a few short points. But first, I want to give you the big idea of the whole event. And the big idea is this. I believe Jesus healed the lesser blindness that we can see to help us to see the greater blindness that we tend to overlook me say that again that Jesus in the story he does the miracle he heals the blindness that you just can't deny this guy was not just blind he was blind from birth had now he's an adult he's an adult who've been blind from birth he could speak for himself his parents said so he's not a kid and, and it's like he does he heals the blindness that we cannot deny in order to help us believe that what he really wants to do is to heal the blindness that we can't see and that we often overlook. And that's our spiritual blindness. So let me break it into some points. Here's what the implications of this are. Number one, Jesus is the light of the world. So believe and receive life and light from him. The fact is we live in the land of the walking dead. We also live in the land of the walking blind. That without Christ, the reality of, of, uh, of our spiritual state is that our spirit, our soul, is spiritually dead and also spiritually blind. And in fact, in Scripture, it often talks about our need to receive both light, or the ability to see, and life, the ability to live. In fact, light and life are inti- intimately linked in Scripture. Let me just prove it to you. John chapter 1, if you were to turn back there, but I'll give it to you on the screen. John 1, 4 begins this way. In him, referring to Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness didn't get it. It didn't comprehend it, didn't believe it. Jump down to verse 12 of chapter 1. But to as many as received him, to believe in him, trust in him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. It's faith, it's trust, it's receiving Christ as the author of our forgiveness and our grace and all that he did that that offers us life and turns on the light. Uh, Or you see the light and you come alive. I mean, the reality is both of them happen at the same time. and, And they're intimately connected. Uh, I love one of the prophecies about Jesus before he was born uh, was uh, Zacharias' prophecy. And, and I think it's Luke 178, but check it later. It's not in my notes, okay? I digress, but it's important. It's good. In Luke, uh, I, think, I think it's 178, could be 278, take a guess. But the reality is this, um, Jesus says this, Yeah, I, think, I mean, Zacharias said this. He says that the Son of God from on high will come, referring to Jesus, Uh, to those of us who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. You see, darkness and death always are used to describe what we are like if we have not come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and had our sins forgiven. We are the walking dead and the walking blind in darkness. That's the reality. Jesus in john eight twelve says again that 's why he says, "I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, jesus is saying i 'm not just going to help you see a little better. See, a lot of people think religion is about taking people that are already somewhat um, inherently good and nice. And, and, and religion kind of brightens the light and helps us shine a little brighter. I mean, have you ever heard that? I think that's often the world's view of religion. And what Jesus is saying here is, no, 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 no. Uh, I don't come to just brighten your light, to give you a little more wisdom, a little more insight, a little more how to be a nice person. I don't come just to brighten your light. I come because you, you, you are living in darkness And you are spiritually blind, and you need sight. Just like a man who was born blind, he sees nothing. Now, it's true that when we look at people, they walk around, they don't don't look spiritually blind. Spiritual blindness, unlike physical blindness, is hard to spot. But Jesus says, I will heal the blindness you can see. So that you will believe me when I tell you, you have a blindness much more dangerous that you're unaware of. And that is that you are spiritually blind if you haven't trusted in me. Huge. Number two. Second thing I learned from this passage is that spiritual pride is blinding. So stay humble. Walk in humility. Humility. It appears that the attitude of the religious leaders is just bathed in this kind of prideful spirit. I mean, it's evidenced in verse forty of the story when when the Pharisees listening in on Jesus when he says, "You know, I came so that those who see can become blind." In other words, you need to become aware of your blindness so that you let me heal you. But they say, "Well, oh, you're not talking about us, are you?" You know, again, they're 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 blind and they don't even see it. it says Lord, you're not talking about us. Uh, you know, you're saying we're blind. Yes, that's exactly what he's saying. See what what was it that blinded them? Uh, you know, I think when you study the scriptures, what you find is a lot of times spiritual blindness doesn't come from Doing a lot of sinful things, it comes from going to church. It, in, the, in this case, the Pharisees were spiritually blind, you know, because they, they their faith was in their own goodness. Their faith was in their own obedience to God's law. Their faith was in we pay attention to the law. We make sure that we don't heal somebody on the Sabbath. Wrong day. You know they were they were sticklers about believing if they follow god 's rules and 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 lived a certain lifestyle then you know if they went to synagogue every week and they gave their tithes and they served and they even watched preschoolers i don't know what they did, but you know they did all the tough jobs at church you know and and and, and if we if we live this moral life, then we have no need for a savior we have no need for a Redeemer we have no need for someone to come and die for our sins see it's spiritual pride Uh, and and a lot of times it's based not so much spiritual pride based in how our bad stuff it's actually spiritual pride could be based in well I'm better than my neighbors I'm nicer than a lot of people Uh, I'm I'm a pretty good guy a pretty good gal And, and it's and it's that part of the culture that can can cause us to not sense our need for Christ because when compared to other people, I'm pretty good. Jesus is saying, you don't realize you've been born blind. Ernest Hemingway, uh, one of the most gifted writers who ever lived, genius without a doubt, uh, was a very, very sad, depressed man, later committed suicide, um, he grew up around Christianity. His grandparents went to uh, Wheaton College, a, a great school at, of, uh, of evangelicalism, uh, great school of the of the scriptures. His parents were influenced by that. They were devout followers of the church and Jesus and and uh, but Hemingway uh, totally rejected their faith. Um, Hemingway at one point said this about his own life. He said, I feel as empty as a radio with the batteries gone dead. Okay? I'm like a shell without life on the inside. And that was his own assessment. Sadly enough, though, he he had such a negative taste in his mouth growing up of a very legalistic um, rules-oriented, you-must-make-your-parents-happy type upbringing. Uh, His dad had committed suicide. His mom uh, often would write to him, and in letters she would remind him of what a bad son he was and how he was a disgrace to Jesus and to her and and how he should be doing more nice things for her and paying her bills and taking care of her and giving her gifts, and, and if he would return to doing those things, and return to Jesus, then then she would love him. That's a summary of the kind of relationship he had with his mother. In the words of Philip Yancey, who tells the story in uh, What's So Amazing About Grace, he said, uh, Hemingway never got over his hatred for his mother or for her Savior. On On one of his birthdays, his mother sent him, mailed him a birthday cake and the gun that his father used to kill himself with a reminder that he needs to come to Jesus. You see, there's the, what I'm pointing out to you is even, even you grew up in, a, in an atmosphere that's not really teaching you grace. He didn't see grace modeled in his church. He didn't see grace modeled from his parents. And he grew up rejecting what I believe was a caricature of Christianity, not the real thing. It's a shame that uh, he took his life uh, never understanding the essence of the grace of God. The bottom line is this. uh, Spiritual pride can be blinding. Walk in humility. Number three, uh, therefore, uh, the other thing I observe from this is the world lacks the world walks in darkness that without christ it that's where it lives even though it doesn't look that way on the surface so be aware of that and and i think we need to adjust our expectations of the world i think we as christians need to quit expecting non-christians in our life to think and act and live like we would until they come to an awareness and a faith in jesus christ We need to change our expectations and not expect that. Because we need to see that their deeper need is not just to conform and be more moral or be more nice or be more like us. You know, uh, their need is, is to have the light come on and be born into God's family by grace as they experience the grace of God. Number four. I think we need to think like this man in the story that says, I once was blind, but now I see. And if that, and we realize that spiritually Jesus is teaching us all of us are born into this world blind. And, and that's the blindness that we should really be concerned about. And, and therefore, all of us, if you have come into a relationship with Christ, put your faith there, you now see and your spiritual sight and life is a gift from God. And that should cause us to worship more passionately, to appreciate God more, to appreciate Jesus more. Understanding that it wasn't like I kind of saw and I figured Jesus out and then I did the right thing. No, no, no. You were blind and God gave you sight. And until you begin to realize, wow, I was blind without Christ, then you'll never have a passion to worship him as the healer who healed your spiritual blindness. One more. I've got to give you one more. As I studied this, it just reminded me that Jesus, as He prepared to leave this earth, He said to His followers, You are the light of the world, so go love in My name. Lead with love. Matthew 514 to 16 Be salt, be light. Let the world see Your good works in such a way that they glorify Your Father in heaven. So we are called now to be like Jesus, the light to those who are walking in blindness, darkness. Beginning this summer and into the next few years, Lord willing, we want to have an emphasis here called Love Encinitas. And it's not just about Encinitas, it's about the whole North County area. But we want to begin to challenge one another to get more involved in in showing the love of Christ to those around us. It's got to start there before we start telling them the message. We need both, but we got to lead with love. Jesus said, "Let them see your good works, so that they will listen to your message, so that they end up glorifying your Father." We're going to focus on several things. We want to focus on the poor by partnering this summer with the Community Resource Center, and I want to challenge you to take your Connect card today. And if you're interested in getting involved today or next week, uh, mark that, and, and we will help you find a place uh, Monday through Friday, anytime from nine to noon. Uh, it's just a great way to serve the poor in an, by partnering with an existing ministry in our area. We also are going to be reaching out to kids this summer with a new deal. It used to be called VBS. VBS is a bad idea. It's a great idea with a bad name, in my opinion. Here's why. It's on vacation, you're asking a kid to go to school. Okay, I don't want to go to school when I'm on vacation, neither do my kids, right? Okay. But instead, we're going to offer a thing called Kids Next Level. It's a sports and arts camp to help kids in, the, in this area come with their friends to Seacoast where well, we're going to ask a bunch of you to volunteer to be coaches and teachers and mentors in different instruments and music and art and sports. Uh, you know, the kind of things. Wow, that sounds fun to do on vacation. You're going to make me a better baseball player. You bet. And then there's going to be a time in which you'll hear some stories about Jesus, too, because it is a church, and everybody will know that. But, you know, we're not building it around, let's go to school in the summer. Bad idea. No, let's practice sports and skills and arts and have some fun this summer as we learn about Jesus. But we're going to need a bunch of you to volunteer, so you'll be thinking about that right now. you hear more about that in the future. We're going to be doing other things. But what we really want to do is just unleash a wave of compassionate caring on our community. That's what we need to be about as a church. Why do I ask you to do that? Let me ask you this. I'll close with this story. If you had a new neighbor move in next door to you and you found out from the fact that he has a white cane with a red tip that he's blind, and you notice your new neighbor being new to his home, new to the neighborhood, he comes out to get the mail one day and he can't find the mailbox. What would you do? Would you help him or just enjoy the show? What would you do? Okay, you would enjoy the show. OK. I kind of had to call you out on that. I'm sorry. OK. No good. I, I wish more people laughed like that. Yeah, of course you wouldn't enjoy the show. Oh you, you would help him. You would help him. Why would you help him? Because he was blind. You have neighbors, you have friends, you have students around you who walk in spiritual blindness. But it's just not as obvious. The question is what will you do? Will you care enough? Pray with me. Father God as we Respond in worship and reflect on your word. We thank you for the wisdom of it. God, I know it convicts me. I tend to see people who look really good on the outside, and I just overlook their spiritual blindness. I overlook their need for Jesus. I overlook their need for the light of the world to give them life and light. So, Lord, uh, help me begin to be more compassionate. Help me to care. Help me to see people the way you see them. And Father, as we sit right now and listen to this song and pray or sing, as we give, we give our gifts to you. May we give generously, more generously than ever, because we care for a world that is in darkness and the shadow of death that is blind in Christ's name amen